instead of getting shot by his enemy, an opposing soldier, his enemy, started singing another hymn. And for 24 hours, they agreed to have a temporary truce to celebrate Christmas. Talk about order in the midst of chaos. The carol itself has very chaotic roots. You see, a French priest had asked a French poet, who wasn't much of a Christian, he asked this French poet to write a poem for his Christmas, for a Christmas service. And the poet used Luke chapter 2, which will be in the later day, as his inspiration. And he liked his poem so much, he asked his Jewish friend to turn the poem into a song. Now, unfortunately, the poet walked away from the faith. He went really radical and turned to socialism. And the church found out that the songwriter was Jewish, not a Christian. And so they decided to ban the carol. They decided not to sing anymore. But the churchgoers, the church attenders who did hear that song didn't, didn't stop. They continued to sing O Holy Night. Now, fast forward 50 years later, an American professor finds a way to broadcast a person's voice over the radio. And it's believed that the very first voice that was heard over the radio was this professor reading Luke chapter 2, which we'll dive into in a little bit here, followed with Old Holy Night played on his violin. A bit of a hectic story tied to this carol. But then this reminds me of the, the birth of Jesus Christ. Why we're we here today? To celebrate the first week of Advent. Often we get this peaceful scene of the nativity of Jesus sweetly sleeping in the manger, surrounded by his parents and a bunch of calm farm animals and some shepherds and some wise men. Now, I don't think it's as calm as the precious moment nativity scenes or the Hallmark paintings that we get. But rather, when Jesus was born, it was really, rather messy and hectic. As we dive into the Bible, it paints a picture for us that, that sometimes we don't read on surface value, but as we dive into it, they reflect the words of the carol. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14 today to see what it says and see how hectic of, this, of, of it this was. And so the passage is going to be put on screen. Feel free to read along with me. Uh, so Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 14, this is what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, a time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there is no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, 
the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The situation leading up to Jesus' birth is hectic. Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, were a couple that were pledged to, ma- to, to get married. But Mary is pregnant before they are married. Pregnancy outside of marriage was a cultural taboo. And Mary would have faced brutal consequences. There's also a census going on. And everyone is required to go back home to register for taxation purposes. They want to get account of all the people living in particular regions so that they could tax them appropriately. So Joseph and Mary, a pregnant Mary, have to make a 90-mile walk back to their hometown. Now, a 90-mile trek for us isn't that big of a deal. We hop in our cars, and we drive there. 90 miles from here, from, from River Life St. Paul, is about the same distance as to Rochester, down south, or to St. Cloud, up north. Over in Wisconsin and Eau Claire. That's about 90 miles. Imagine your pregnant spouse, your pregnant wife, walking those 90 miles back to your hometown to register for taxation purposes. I wouldn't be too happy about that. When they finally arrive to their hometown, there's no room for them to stay in. And so they end up in a manger with animals. And oftentimes this is depicted as a, as a stable or as, a, or as a, a farm. And it's quite peaceful. But imagine, a, uh, imagine you know, a, a person in your life giving birth to their first child in a manger. Not only is it a manger, but some Bible scholars say it might have just simply been a cave where all the animals stayed in. Culture during this time, Mary was only tw- maybe 12 to 15 years of age, having her first baby in a manger. Imagine that. Two teenagers delivering a baby in a cave. Who knows what labor looked like? Who knows how long it took to deliver baby Jesus? I've only heard stories of what happens in the delivery room. But imagine the fear, the chaos, the uncertainty, that they are experiencing. And on top of all this, they're giving birth to the Son of God. Pretty messy in my opinion. Now although it's chaotic, and so much is going on, all this chaos comes to a halt when the baby is born. And in that moment, something happens. Angels appear to shepherds who are nearby and say this. They say, to the, they say to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. 
And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host, the angels, uh, appeared with angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace upon, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace in the midst of chaos. Peace in the midst of hopelessness. Peace in the midst of uncertainty. Like Home Alone, where things take a turn. Like the Franco-Prussian War, where there was a temporary moment of truce to celebrate Christmas. This moment of chaos and uncertainty turns into hope. And the lyrics to O Holy Night, the lyrics that say a thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning, makes sense. You see, when Jesus was born, it just wasn't the shepherd that received that peace. It, just, it wasn't just Mary and Joseph. You see, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the nation of Israel, God's people, they were expecting God to fulfill his promise of bringing peace to them. The nation of Israel were expecting that peace but they became exiles of the land that God had promised them that they would experience that peace. They experienced their temple being destroyed where they connected directly with God. And they were oppressed by other people groups when they were supposed to be the people of God. You see the lyrics, A thrill of hope the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious ground describe not only the moment where Jesus was born, but these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years, if we go back to Abraham, of the long anticipation for the hope of peace, that everything would be right. And all the chaos, all the uncertainty, all the hopelessness, all of it, would begin to shift to order, certainty, and hope. And all this happens because Jesus was born. And this is what we can learn from it. That a new day with Christ brings hope and peace to keep going. A new day with Christ brings hope and peace to keep going. You see, life is chaotic and uncertain. We've experienced that in the last couple years here with COVID and as of recent with the, with the new strain. Some of us have experienced really hard things. And so when we do experience these hard things, what keeps you going? What gives you hope to keep on going when things get tough? Some people say that you can live up to 40 days without food. Some say you can live up to four days without water. And I don't think there's any scientific proof behind this, but some say that there's, you can live up to four seconds with zero hope. What keeps you going on when things get tough? Is it our jobs? Is it our career? Is it the check that we get from the, the work that we do? Is it our hobbies, the things that we enjoy doing? Is it things that we own? Is it having things that bring us hope? Maybe it's our family, our parents, 
our spouse, our kids, our siblings, our extended family, maybe even our pets, that those things help us move forward. Maybe it's our educational endeavors to, be, to gain knowledge, to be smarter so that we can make an impact in the world, a real impact. Maybe it's our financial status of knowing that whatever is in our bank account, that if we're financially stable, that could push us through. While all these things are important, I don't think they guarantee the same peace that God promises us. You see, God's peace brings us perfect harmony among all things, among all people, where everyone and everything is blessed and prosperous. And when I mean prosperous, it's not just or only the financial sense, but it's in our well-being, it's in our health, and it's in our relationships with each other. The peace that God promises us isn't simply a lack of war, struggle, or conflict, nor is it just a, a neutral state of being okay. And so, for example, I have, I have an okay relationship with my brother. You know, we, we get along. It's not a great relationship. could be better. And so sometimes when we think of peace, as long as we're not at war with each other, as long as we're getting along, we're okay. But it's not that. It's more than that. It's that our relationship is flourishing, it's thriving, it's growing, that we enjoy being with each other. A professor of Hebrew scripture, Ronaldo Sequeira, says this, The basic concept of peace in the New Testament is that of wholeness. A wholeness in all dimensions of life, implying in tranquility, safety, well-being, welfare, health, contentment, Success, comfort, integrity, harmony with God and his laws, etc. Such a kind of peace is in direct relationship with the work of God in man's life and in his world. Again, I don't know if anyone or anything can offer us a peace like this except Jesus. So that's why I think it's important that we put our hope in Jesus. Now imagine what that peace, Jesus' peace, what that could look like in your life in your relationship with your spouse, your family, your children, your extended family, your siblings, your co-workers, your boss, your neighbors, strangers that we run into every day when we go out in the world. How would that peace impact all of those people that we run into? How would that peace impact our health, our well-being? How would that peace impact our finances? How would that peace impact our community? How would that peace impact our world? Today, I wish that this peace falls upon all of us. And I hope that we can find this peace in Jesus. I'm going to take a moment to pray for us. And we're going to dive into a reflection to consider a little bit more of what this peace could look like in our life. And so let's take a moment to pray, and we'll dive into a moment of reflection here. God, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who brought peace into all of our lives, whether we know it or not. And in these few years, Lord, where everything has felt hopeless, even Jesus, the birth of Jesus, breaks into that. The season of Advent is to remind us that Jesus came as a baby 
thousands and thousands of years ago. And because you fulfilled that promise of Jesus coming into the world to usher peace for us to experience it, we also hold on to the truth that the season of Advent is not just looking back, but it's also looking forward because you've kept your promise and so you will keep your promise of Jesus coming back to return for us. And so allow us to experience just a sliver of that peace, knowing that when Jesus returns, we will experience that peace entirely. And so would you be with us in the next couple minutes here, Lord, as we take some time to reflect on what that peace looks like in our life. Holy Spirit, may you move in this room, may you move in the life of all of us, Lord, to be attentive and to be aware of what you're trying to say to us, of how we can experience this peace in the midst of whatever we're going through. We pray and lift this all up in Jesus' name.